if reality, if this is really a sim, as some people seem to think there's a lot of evidence about, what is the game being played? And if I look historically at, you know, why we exist, and you look at humanity and even other species, it seems that the the win state is an ev more evolved, compassionate humanity. Hello and welcome to Medium Energy, where we explore technology, being human, and how to find the right balance between the two. I'm your host, Evan Helda, and I'm here to learn with you about tools like spatial computing, blockchain, and artificial intelligence, and how they're all converging to reshape our world. If you want to take full advantage of these tools while staying grounded in the real world, you've come to the right place. For deeper dives into all these topics and more, please check out our newsletter over at mediumenergy.io. We'd love to have you as part of our growing community of thinkers, creators, and doers. Today, our guest is Nanea Reeves. Nanea is the co-founder and CEO of Trip which is one of my favorite companies in the entire ARVR space. Broadly speaking, Trip is a wellness company that uses the power of immersive experiences to help people take control of their mental and emotional well-being. So you can think of Trip like the headspace or the calm of VR or of the future metaverse, if you will. As for Nanea, she has quite the colorful background and an impressive career arc. She's been a C-suite executive at a variety of tech companies within digital distribution, mobile app development, games, and prior to Trip, she was the SVP and COO of Global Online at Electronic Arts. And through her leadership at these various companies, she's facilitated over $1.6 billion in exits. So obviously she has some serious business chops, but I think what is most compelling is her personal story and some of the adversity she's faced. Uh, and upon hearing it, it's obvious that she's really the perfect person to pursue this vision and to help humanity utilize digital mediums for mental health and overall well-being something I'm quite passionate about myself. I really enjoyed this conversation with Nanea. I think you will as well. So without further ado, I bring you Nanea Reeves. Do you see the, the Mark Zuckerberg and Lex Friedman podcast recording that happened I've this week? I've seen some of it on social media lately. It, it looked Mind really cool. I have to watch the whole thing. He's such a great I interviewer. Mean, but did you see the actual avatars and how yeah. like photorealistic? Yeah. I mean, that I don't know. Sometimes, like, there's benefits to being a stick of butter sometimes in the metaverse. I kind of love, like, <laughs> fluid avatar. A stick that, of butter. Does yeah. a stick of butter have legs and they arms, do. at least? Or is they it just do. like an, an immobile yeah. stick of butter? Okay. We had somebody giving a talk in one of our live metaverse groups. We have a community called Together with Trip. And uh, this person was giving a lecture on different approaches to psychedelic assisted therapy mm. and th th she was speaking to a stick of butter and a mushroom head <laughs> oh my a few goodness. other avatars so there is something i think about being able to kind of represent yourself as well yeah. as different ways to to be digital sounds like a formal product feature request yeah trip could do. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting stuff. Well, lots of topics to cover. I thought yeah, we could jump in at a point in the future. So to kick things off, let's let's time travel a little bit into the future. Okay. Let's close our eyes. Let's imagine 15, 20 years 
VR is ubiquitous. What does success look like for Trip? What does the world look like? What does the platform look like? What has Trip accomplished in that future? Well, I think let's just talk about VR being ubiquitous. I think it's less about the VR device itself, but how we interact with technology. And mm -hmm. I like to think of virtual reality as more complete immersion into mm -hmm. a virtual world. Um, but there are other ways to layer reality. You, you know, you see AR. Right now we think of them very discrete as their own verticals. And I believe, you know, you're thinking 15, 20 years in the future, there will be ways that we can experience layered reality mm -hmm. and and experience full presence in each of those layers. And And is it a device on your head? Is it an implant? Is it something that is just accessible through Internet of Things? And everything mm -hmm. interacts with this sort of new digital fabric to the universe. Yeah, I think that's a important misconception that people have about this future is that it all equals VR and it's all full immersion. It's all an escape from our physical world. That's when right. This notion yeah. of layers is key. And you saw it in the Apple Vision Pro announcement. One of the key things is this little knob. Well, you, we you built that, that knob into and it just our... kind of goes in and out. Right. Yeah, we built a dimmer switch, a virtual dimmer switch in our Sanctum experience in our app, which is, it's more of a mixed reality feature. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it allows you to kind of turn down the physical world or sit in it with augmentation of Very these cool. virtual gifts that we've given you. So you can have that. Yeah, I'm glad you guys gear. are thinking that way because I'm definitely more personally passionate about the the AR and the more spatial computing side of things. So, so that's the interface future, right? That, I mean, that's a good way to level set on the interfaces of the future. How about the content and the experiences in this future? Like what are people going to be experiencing and what does the world look like when trip is a massive success? Well, my, my whole focus as an entrepreneur at this phase in my journey is really to think about how we can use technology for beneficial outcomes. And mm -hmm. so one of the things, if you think about this connective tissue that you can create through communication devices and digital overlays, success for us really is a byproduct. Financial success as a company is a byproduct of us having had real impact on helping people feel better. So mm -hmm. I always tell our team, if we just really ensure that we're constantly innovating on how this might make someone feel, that mm -hmm. the business will show up behind that. It, it, it just can't not, if you're really making someone feel better after using your experience than they felt before. And so that incentive for me personally is incredibly motivating and we're starting to attract investors who are motivated by that mission and even more excited is that we're attracting talent people want to bring their skills to that mission and yeah. i think there's a future version of trip 
where the community is also participating in how mm. to create the content. And yeah. they get that same sense of purpose that we have in knowing, oh, I'm going to build this thing and or make this experience. And we put it out there and people tell us right away, wow, this is amazing. It really helped me connect more deeply to my breath. It, it calmed me down. I think about it sometimes when I'm in the real world uh and it, it, you know it even helps right? me then and when it lingers I, yeah and i would love for people to be able to feel that same feeling knowing that they made a difference in other mm -hmm. people's lives and i think there's a version of trips product offering you'll see that will mm -hmm. figure out how to give the just end user the person using trip coming to us to feel supported to mm. also feel like they're supporting others. And so that is, that's an exciting mission. And for me, you know, how you create that sense of connection, technology, even mobile devices could be utilized in much better ways than just mm -hmm. giving you a constant feed of manipulation so that you'll purchase something right pure, or pure doom scrolling yeah and or you know try to fix yourself because you're yeah. not okay the way that you are um we can use those same interfaces in ways that make you uh also feel more supported and then mm. give you a mechanism to support others and that's kind Very of what cool. i've been noodling a lot with so is the vision a, a sort of UGC, a user-generated content type of strategy, sort of like a Roblox model where the users... It'll get there. I, I, it'll get there, yeah. All the tools that we're building to author content, and now we're starting to author a lot of content uh, using AI, and that was always our mission, was this concept of mm -hmm. mood on demand. Can we give you a sense of agency yep. over how you feel? And, and sometimes you might want to feel more energized. It's not just all about like calming down. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, you may want to feel more confident before you have to do something. You have a little bit of fear or anxiety around and we can figure out ways to help, help you get in that zone, yeah. a, a better headspace or mindset to do the things you want to do in your life. And mm. I think especially young people, if you listen to their language closely, like, you know, the words that we're using now as a culture, it, it, there's this tendency to really believe and hold these mental models that we have no control over the way that we feel, that you can trigger mm. responses, yes. emotional responses in me, and and that I'm just at total sort effect. of like a victim mindset it's not only just a victim mindset it's a reactive mindset mm. mm -hmm. as opposed to even if i have that reaction how can i stop and pause and then mm -hmm. choose a more life-affirming a mm -hmm. healthier decision for myself and what's right for me and yep. that little gap is very powerful. So if we can just help people start to build the muscle to insert that mm. little gap before their reaction that mm. gets triggered by an emotion or a feeling, 
I really do believe we can have a transformative effect on the on the world. And and it is not just trip. It's just this whole approach to, you know, creating these different paths up the mountain of mindfulness and transformation, how to be present. Really, yeah, this, is, this, is one, this is one tool of many, but with kids growing up, learning how to swipe on screens from the age of two and beyond, yeah. when yeah. they're 15, 16, it's going to be hard for them to sit there probably and just be in silence and close their eyes. And maybe yeah. this approach is a bit more uh, familiar to them and yes. can entice them more, but get to the same outcomes, right? So That's, it's kind of meet them that, where they are, right? That is. And I think in the West, we hold some we hold some mental models about meditation that I think are evolved in other countries, more evolved in other countries. So Mm -hmm. we still tend to approach it like a chill pill, like, "Ah, I'm really stressed out. I need to learn how to be calmer or more focused. And it's kind of a, uh, we approach everything with this self-improvement path, which is Mm -hmm. a, constant reinforcement that we're not okay the way that we are right now in this moment. Yeah. And your whole life can be spent on that treadmill and it yeah. really interferes with your ability to be very happy. And yeah, it's, kind of, it's and a wrong present. precursor as you go well, on the journey. Right? It, it yeah. can actually make you feel worse if you have any kind of real mental health issues because yeah. it's it's a constant reinforcement you're not okay yeah. the, you I, i've been now. there i mean I, when i've had yeah. times of darkness and i go pick up a self-help book i'm like oh man i look at me reading a self-help book i must be broken why right. am i reading this and not reading a book about you know something that's about a business book or by a ceo because i'm trying to be in more of a growth state why can't i be there why am i in this fixing phase and that has problems in itself well um, even the the desire to be in a growth mindset is a reinforcement that you need growth to be successful. Yeah. Right. And so just really sitting and being okay with what is. Yeah. Is the being first okay step. with what is. And that's not yeah. that we have to accept things that are toxic or bad, but there's a more empowering position to be in in the present moment that will Mm -hmm. help you change those things. And so if you think about, if all we have is today, and how am I going to design a really good day for myself? And, And if I have an awareness that the health choices I make today, the food choices, the the sleep choices, the mindfulness choices, the financial choices I make really will determine in many ways, at least to a good percentage, how tomorrow's going to show up. And if I'm consistent in those choices, it'll determine how next year will show up. And I do Mm. actually have a lot of control over Mm -hmm. some of those things. Obviously, though, many of us have had life experiences like I've had, and I'm sure you have, where, you know, you wake up one day and on this day, you find yourself in a doctor's office and they're telling you and your husband that he only has eight months to live. And Mm. you then find out the reality of that is it was only actually eight weeks. And so those are the challenges, though you need the resilience, the muscle to be built to 
really navigate your reactions in those moments so that, you know, what, what I did in that scenario was my husband and I were constantly negotiating in the present moment. How do we maximize our time left together with mm. love, with joy, with connection? Come and, on, so this is a real uh, story. This, this is yeah. a real thing that happened to you. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So, so, I mean, it sounds like you've had a few interesting stories some challenging moments. Uh, if we can, I'd love to go back to earlier in your life mm. and maybe talk about some of the things that have happened to you, some of the things you've experienced that have led you on this trip journey and nudged you in this direction, including the one you just mentioned. It's, it's interesting as we go through these experiences, you often don't understand why something is happening to you until maybe many years later. In hindsight, mm -hmm. you can see that maybe there was a journey that unfolded that completely made sense. <laughs> but at the time, you know, I felt punished and and why was the world treating me this way? Mm -hmm. And it's really been that mindset that I had to transcend even as a kid to survive. Mm -hmm. My mother struggled with drug addiction mm -hmm. and she was a heroin addict and I was the oldest of three girls. And so, you know, I grew up as this fierce little child who, you know, I started off with this really great sense of responsibility and a need to protect my sisters. And I had to figure out really hard things as the result of tremendous neglect. And and there were, and I also had to learn how to navigate a lot of anger and my mm. own self-destructive behavior that was really built on a foundation of very low self-esteem, mm -hmm. not really having a lot of nurturing energy in my life. And, and that can also make you very self-reliant in a defiant yeah. way. Like, I don't need anyone or, you know, no one loves me. It's a really hard headspace for a child to mm -hmm. be in and navigate. And my sister, Vicky, never got out of that headspace as an adult. I was very fortunate at the age of 15 to go through a major mental health crisis. It was a full-on meltdown, mm. and it put me <coughs> in a hospital. So at the time, you know, this seemed like the worst moment in my life. But what it ended up being was it was a portal to a whole mm. new life. My willingness to ask for help. And then to allow it to be given to me, this therapist, I just had the good fortune of being connected with as a result of that experience was she had just come back from Nepal and had learned how to meditate. And this was way before Headspace and Calm type of apps mm -hmm. were on the market. Uh, it, she taught me how to meditate and I didn't tell any of my friends. I was very punk rock and embarrassed about it and mm. you know was very feral in my energy and very outward mm. expressing my internal condition mm. and she really helped me learn that pause a simple breathing technique she gave me during a panic attack it was the window 
to a whole new life experience. And so through meditating with her during our sessions and starting to learn how to manage these big emotions that were living inside of me as a young person on the planet, I could start to make small decisions throughout the day that were much healthier. And mm -hmm. it really rewired my decision framework. And I watched my sister as if she was in an alternate universe of my life that should have happened. I watched mm -hmm. her life go down the tubes to ultimately dying in a drug overdose, uh, fentanyl and methamphetamine. And, and my life started to flourish and you know look at us we had the same abuse profile the same trauma profile yeah. the same dna even and a completely different outcome and i can yeah. only equate it to getting help at the right moment the compassion of another human being being there for me at the time and being given this gift of building the internal strength and emotional strength that I needed to build a better life for myself. And so my thought about like what we're doing is how can we all approach our inner, you know, condition, our emotional and mental well-being proactively in the same way that we approach physical exercise. We know what we need to yeah. do to stay healthy and active, you know, all throughout our lives. And uh, now we're finally, as a culture, looking at mental health and wellness as yeah. in the same mindset. I think this is revolutionary. We need it as a society and young people especially have to build these tools sooner in mm. And, and it's wonderful to see schools teaching mindfulness, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the thing that's needed is education about mental fitness and just like the fitness industry. Yeah. I mean, back in the 20s and 30s, society, people in general, they weren't educated on how to be in shape, what right. a good workout looks like. And it, it took the wave of like, you know, the 80s with Richard Simmons and making fitness interesting and fun and experiential and, yeah, and, and, and you know right it, it was it, it became engaging mm -hmm. and then and then it kind of came into the room into the household and then now today you have apps like Peloton and you have mm -hmm. you know people for fitness if, if, it, if it wasn't experiential if it wasn't social mm -hmm. if, it, if they didn't learn about it we wouldn't be where we are today with fitness. And I think that's what we're doing now And there was a lot right of stigma even around physical health or strength. You know, it, you, you think about like Popeye and sort of the norms yeah. around that and bodybuilding, how people looked at bodybuilders back in the 40s and 50s, you know. And But yeah. I think people like Jack LaLanne showed up and Richard Simmons, like you said, and really started changing <laughs> that narrative. and. I don't know yeah. if he's the best example, but it's the first one that came to mind. So, mm -hmm. so what what was it? When did you make the connection between immersive experiences, three D oh. experience, gamified experiences, and connect that to mindfulness? What was that moment? And what was that kind of? Well, my relationship with technology has always been really interesting because, you know, when video game arcades showed up when I was a young person. 
-hmm. I would find myself playing these games for hours. I could play on one quarter, you know, and have high score. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the few girls It kind of gave me a lot of confidence too, you know, yeah. it made me feel a little bit like a badass. It's the whole feeling good thing. Right? Yeah. Good. But also having control over your environment, especially mm -hmm. when everything's falling agency. apart. Yeah. yeah. It's that agency. And, and what happened was as game consoles started to come out, and I really got into that and I got into computers and playing games, it gave me this really organic interest in technology. Mm. And, and ultimately that led to a career in tech, which I ended up working at a mobile game company running product technology pro building out a lot of technology infrastructure and that mobile game company became very successful before the iphone it was on flip phones oh, really? and, and we cool. went public and and we were acquired by electronic arts and i worked at oh, ea awesome. running ea online and driving a lot of digital transformation at that company and i loved it and i I have loved working in the video game industry. I left EA to go work at a cloud gaming company called Gaikai that Dave Perry, who's a wonderful video game creator, he did Earthworm Jim and the Matrix game. And so he had and two, two or three co-founders, they came together and figured out how to really create cloud gaming where the cloud is hosting the game and you yeah. could stream down to a very low-end device that didn't have a lot of computing power, a really rich experience that the device wouldn't be capable of rendering. And I was blown mm -hmm. away by it when I saw it at EA. So I went to go work with them at, and that company was acquired by Sony. And there were mm -hmm. a few people at that company who didn't go to Sony. They went to go start Oculus with Palmer Lucky. Mm and Brendan history Reed. of the making yes and so I, mm -hmm. I was fortunate to make a very small investment I wish I had put a bit more but it was should, awesome should double down <laughs> <laughs> and what that did was it gave me very early access to VR devices while they were being worked out the Oculus okay. Rift and Nice. So there was one day that Brendan asked me if I would bring my cousin is Keanu Reeves, the actor, speaking of the major. Oh, yes. and, Down the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Brendan said, you know, we'd love to share this with you and your cousin. And I brought another friend of oh, mine wow. down, Zach Norman. We were trying to figure out, you know, how we could potentially work together on something new. And, and my husband, Vic, came down with me and we all drove down to go try the latest version of the Oculus device in development. And mm -hmm. all the early VR experiences were designed that you could really scare the pants off of you, you know, make you feel <laughs> like you're about to fall off a mountain or a cliff mm -hmm. or, you know, the horror experiences were really like real fear. And on the ride home, I just kept like thinking, if you could make someone feel fear that easily, what else yeah. could you make them feel? Yeah, there was, a, there was like a physiological response there. Totally. In one direction. What about the other direction? And it was also very interesting 
Zach and I talked about this. Zach was my co-founder at Trip, Zach Norman, and he's a wonderful yeah. game producer. He He's not with the company anymore, but definitely was, you know, part of our early journey on getting the very first prototype built and then launched uh, of Trip. And we were talking about how interesting it was to come in and out of one reality and into another, that, that these virtual realities weren't like fake in that sense. Like you were creating memories, you, the experience yeah. of being in a digital world, knowing that you were also physically in mm. the physical reality. It was very interesting. And so when um, it was after that meeting, down in Orange County at the Oculus offices. Uh, it was a couple months later that my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And so we went through that journey and then, you know, grief really kicked my ass. Uh, mm. And it was really emerging out of that loss that you're just forced to say, what do I want to do with my life? Yeah. And, and I had this clearing, not by choice, but I was in a position where I knew, okay, I have to start over. I have to rebuild my life in a way, but I have a certain track record. You know, I had had some success uh, and I knew that if I had my own idea, I could get it supported. Prior to this, mm -hmm. I had been COO, president, you know, I was number, I was strong yeah. number two, more product some leadership focused. pedigree. Yeah. Sure. And so I knew how to facilitate ideas and mm -hmm. I would even contribute to them. But what was my idea? And I kept going back to that feeling of rather than simulating reality, which a lot of people were doing in the early days of VR, could we stimulate different responses from mm -hmm. people? And mm -hmm. that led me to Simulation for stimulation. I like that. Yes. Simulation is one approach, but we wanted to focus on stimulation. So I started mm -hmm. digging into the research and was surprised to find all these great scientists like Skip Rizzo, Walter Greenleaf, Jeremy Balenson, Giuseppe Riva, for well over a decade had been looking at various versions of virtual reality and how it could be used in mental and physical clinical use cases to produce different effects. And that led me to start really thinking, how could you create a product? Now, we were on the verge of having a very viable consumer device at a price point that really could you could execute on this. And knowing what I knew about building successful products that were live services, et cetera, could, could we do this around kind of having a catalog of mm. mood on demand? Can get you okay, select yeah. this and it changes the way you feel using sound frequencies, gameplay mechanics, full immersion, and bringing all the stuff I had learned throughout my tech career, but also you know, combining it with a really well-evolved meditation practice as well, you know, to think about, look, the purpose of a meditation practice is to get your awareness present. That's it. 
you know, present awareness, pure awareness in this moment. Getting calm and focused is a step to that, you know, because if you're ruminating and stuck on, you know, fear of the future or regret of the past, you're actually not mm. 100% just present with a clear mind. And um, But in VR, captured awareness is surprisingly easy if you can get people mm. to go, oh, wow. Mm. And, you know, when we started to experiment with mindfulness experiences or calming experiences, and we were replicating beaches and waterfalls. They weren't that relaxing as much because my brain knows what it to smell like or feel like on my skin. And in mm. the absence of that, you know, holding that mental model, I'm kind of looking around going, this looks pretty, but what's wrong? There's something wrong. Yeah. And like so it's too real, therefore your brain's comparing it to that real thing. Yeah. yeah. And so if we could just get you into a space that you've never experienced in real mm. life. You have mm. no mental model on, and you just go, oh, wow. Yeah. That that, oh, wow, there was something that just got you really present in the moment. And yeah, it's kind of like a sense of wonder or awe, which I think is it. sort of a key catalyst to the- Yeah, and there's a scientist out of Milan, Giuseppe Riva. His oh. research has been very influential, and he has- done research on how to use VR to trigger different states of awe. And he even has a scale for a validated scale for measuring awe and mm. awe's impact on mental health and wellness. And, you know, when we go out to nature, um, for some people, it really does give you that sense of awe, feeling yeah. part of something much bigger than, than you. That's awesome. So you mentioned this prototype you guys started off with. What did that first prototype look like and <laughs> how did it evolve over time? And, yeah, and, and so, today, what does it look like? And like, what's the delta? So we thought originally that we would start you off in some kind of nature environment and then start to mm -hmm. dissolve it and have it kind of turn into a fractal universe, more cosmic and give you that experience mm -hmm. you can't. And what we found was the nature environment didn't feel good as well. So we thought, okay, what if we go to some kind of cosmic flotation tank that's kind of dark and, but, and, you know, you're being guided to breathe. And we, we had a being, but she looked too much uncanny valley. Like it, it, we could mm. never get fine. And we were spending all this time trying to get her to look right. And mm. then we thought, well, this is not inclusive. Like, what if I don't identify with that person? Cause I'm Hawaiian and Chinese and Irish, like I am. And, you know, I'm, mm. I'm getting judgy about what's being presented. And then one day we went, it's light. Everyone can relate to light. Like the idea of light being supported to you. And, mm -hmm. and then we thought, instead of telling you to inhale and exhale, let's show you your breath as a way to connect to it. And because we knew where the headset was positioned, we could position it right at your mouth like, and, and make you really feel connected to your breath as it comes out like stardust in and out. And how do you go to the next section of the experience we can make you feel like you're floating 
floating mm-hmm. up and ascending mm-hmm. and because you can do all these things in VR. There's no gravity. Yeah. So we just started experimenting and and it, our focus trip, which has those stages and it has a little bit of a mini game to help your attention get present. And then it puts you in this fractal tunnel, which is kind of trippy, but, you know, it, it it's it's cool. It, we kind of yeah. thought of that more like a reward. And then you come out into this hero environment, like the end of the journey. And there are these images from your own life that you've uploaded for from the mobile app and you never know what's going to show up oh that's cool Uh, so we just kept iterating and looking at it in headset and seeing what felt right what didn't work rapid prototyping and i think that that's the beauty of software development there's something really creative about it and when you have enough of an audience that you can bring people to try like a little alpha build of something and give you feedback it's so much fun even when you're proven wrong you're like oh we got that wrong okay yeah. let's try this again the key best um, practice in game studios right they have this like early build they get a small community they push it out yeah and, and i was really feedback. excited because once we built that first pr- prototype um we didn't have meditation audio in it actually i had uh, it was just experiential with sound frequencies because we wanted to really lean into that can we stimulate visual Mm -hmm. immersion interactivity and i shared it with jack cornfield the meditation teacher who runs spirit rock and he's somebody i have respected for a long time his contribution to the mindfulness community has been tremendous and he was so generous with his time spent with me and the feedback he gave me on the experience and he said you get me so relaxed and focused in your experience. Could you give me a teaching during it? Just like a little reflection that I can take away with me. And and I went, oh, we could do that. It would change. We could change it daily. And And he just started spouting off. It could be something like this, like you are awareness itself. And and mm-hmm. and I actually have that recording. It was amazing. And it That's just cool. really inspired this whole build out was getting early feedback. I showed it to my friend, Nicole Bradford, who used to run World of Warcraft in China and she operations. And she also runs the trans tech community, transformative technology community. And, and she was so excited when she when she tried trip for the first time. So getting people's early feedback, we shared it with David Chalmers, the oh. uh, consciousness. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, the, he's the guy that has the, the hard problem of consciousness. Yes, he wrote that book exactly. recently about, about v- VR plus, right? Is, yeah. What is reality? Is reality? Yeah, well, you know, he said virtual reality as real as reality, really cool. right? If you think about it, books were the very first virtual reality mm, devices. Yeah. Because you're you immerse into a different world and you're creating the world in your mind, actually, as you read. Yeah, it. you could argue that you know cave paintings with like the lights from the fire flickering onto the walls and people looking at the walls and letting their imaginations run wild. That yeah. also probably pass. Yeah. So, but I remember when we shared it with him. That was when 
maybe one out of every three app launches would crash. <laughs> so I was really nervous to have David Chalmers trying trip and, you know, would it stay up and running? Same with Jack, I, you know, and that our version had to run on a computer back. That was before the standalone. Yeah, they're all device. these tethered, tethered headsets. Yeah, it was. I didn't realize you guys ago. were so early in the space. I thought you guys yeah, started maybe five like years three or four ago. years ago. Yeah. Five, five years ago. Man. So you're officially a, a VR OG, I think, at that. Well, there age. there were others before us for sure who really pioneered. Our, our, I believe our timing was perfect because we could build out the technology yeah, stack. Yeah, it, it, it took a lot of time to figure this out. Yeah, sure. it took a, a while to figure it out. We were very well supported by the investment community, which was surprising to me, but also, you know, we've that's not as money. surprising to me, right? Because like, Usually if you're investing as an investor, you're maybe investing in a game, it's pure entertainment, or it's like a SaaS product or business mm -hmm. B2B. Right. But this is so different. This is altruistic. Yeah. This is has an impact on humanity. Like I, I can see people being willing to stick with you longer and they do invest and follow on rounds. They see how far yeah. you've come versus like, oh, what are the numbers? What's the PNL look like? Oh, you're well, not growing fast enough. Well, you know, sorry, that that is I actually like the game of business. I, I've all, as a, a woman working in tech, and especially when I was younger, no one would listen to me. They're very really? dismissive, right? Like, oh, don't listen to her, <laughs> you know? And so <laughs> I learned very early that I needed to show up with data and numbers. So I, I taught myself like how to dig into analytics and, and mm. present my ideas in the context of here's, the data currently, here's the test we ran on my idea, and here's where I think it can go. Here's what mm -hmm. it will cost. Here's the phase one test spend to get to the next level. If it doesn't work, we didn't lose that much, but we did learn a lot, right? And so I had to use data in a way that would get my ideas supported in working environments, and it ended up being a superpower. It's probably a blessing in disguise. I mean, that's the way to be the most influential you can be anyway. I mean, yeah, very Amazonian yeah. here at, here at Amazon on my job. Oh, like right, right. Well, we, Amazon we're just drilled on data, trip. data, data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so being able to talk through that. But what I ended up finding out early on uh, working in e-commerce and in video games, that that data interface is a real conversation with the user. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they Absolutely. are telling you, this is where you got it right. This is where you didn't, <laughs> right? And we like this more than that. And, it, you know, and that might vary differently from your data that we're looking at versus others. So it's really interesting to engage with product development that way and to iterate from it. And now we're in a world where the data that Trip has is so rich because for over 8 million sessions, we've been asking people, how do you feel before they start yeah. the experience and after? And now we've built a whole mood vector database on that and, and we're powering some new AI tools. A mood vector database. Can you break that down for us a little bit? What, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, the mood vector database is, we've taken our mood data and we have 
built a machine learning foundation to start to build profiles for our users, understanding how their mood is being affected over time. But now we're using that data to tie to different content that we okay. create. And obviously you can build a recommendation engine off of that, but we're gonna launch very soon a new feature called Kokua. It'll be on our mobile app. And Kokua. it and Kokua means to help or support in Hawaiian. It's actually Beautiful. a very meaningful word for me personally and for all people of Hawaii. And it's going to be a little AI agent on oh, mobile man, that will ask you how you feel and help get you content to support you in that Gosh, moment. The, the, the AI impact here makes my head spin in all kinds of different directions. So let's talk about that a little bit. We talked about data mm -hmm. and, and measurement and then using right. that for AI. Where are we today with measurement? Like what is, what is being measured and what kind of efficacy are we able to prove today? Like, do we have immense data that's absolutely validating this stuff works super well? And if so, what does that data look like today? Troop doesn't make any therapeutic claims. We're very conscientious about that. We never want anybody to use Trip as a replacement for mental health. And I feel very strongly about that because mental health professional changed my life, saved my life. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, I have direct evidence of that. And I so we want to be a support tool that will help people just feel supported by these interfaces and maybe be able to build that inner resilience more. Mm -hmm. How we measure that can be done through self-reported interfaces. Most mental health medicines are usually measured through self-reported data because in mental illness, it is actually really important how you think you feel. But the emotional and mental health biomarkers, it's an emerging market. Other people are much uh, more suited to have that discussion with Evan, you know, been working in the space, but I've, I've seen some interesting ways to measure cognitive states, et cetera. People are looking at pupil measurement, which yeah. you can, with these glasses, if they have eye tracking devices, you can, you can look at impact on cortisol levels. We're participating in a study that is NASA funded where they're looking at using our app to reduce, does it have an impact on cortisol levels uh, uh, under stressful yeah. conditions? And so there's still a lot of data that must be collected before, yeah. uh, even as an industry as a whole, we can make any kind of claims on efficacy. I think you need a, a tremendous amount of evidence to responsibly say yeah. this is doing that. But we do know that just the act of going into a headset or opening up a mobile app and saying, I'm going to meditate for the next few minutes, or I'm going to just connect my breath and trip where we're showing you yeah. breath. That act of self-care in and of itself is, is very life affirming, right? It, it, 
it's a step to making healthier choices in our lives. And yeah, so absolutely. right now, the way that trip looks at measurement on are our experiences being, you know, received well from users, you know, they tell us how they feel before and after we look at that data. And now we're going to start to recommend content based on on that and then even like with Kokua start to look at how we can author it in real time yeah. responsibly. So the first launch cool. will be more like a hybrid recommendation engine so we can understand like how people will interact with it. It's such a, a new interface that everyone is working on with AI. Uh, we don't understand it as much as we need to and it's rapidly evolving. Uh, I think what's so exciting about the measurement opportunity, tell me if this is right or wrong. I think this is right, but for decades in the, in the realm of neuroscience or you know, the study of emotions, all you could rely on was a survey, right? You put someone through an experience, yeah. they could tell you how they feel, right? but how, did, how could you tie that feeling back to a subjective, a subjective experience, right? what that experience contained, and then what was happening in their body and in their mind right. from a quantitative perspective, right? Well, and just so, even the shift that most of those surveys were collected after the fact, and sometimes yeah, a week exactly. or a month after, and the difference that we're asking you in real time. And that's yep. a muscle too. When I sit down to meditate, the first thing I do is I look at my mind and I ask myself, what kind of mind, what kind of emotional condition am I bringing to this practice in this moment? And that's a muscle to be able to look at internally and say, ask myself, how am I feeling right now? You know, without judgment, just to look at it and start that, that, that in and of itself is a step to self-regulation because the next choice is all up to you, right? What you do with that yeah. information. And, and and I love the idea of this, this AI you're developing, becoming a coach to help you interpret your own data as well. Cause you could come into a session, you could say, I'm feeling a certain way, but maybe you're just telling yourself that that's what you want to hear, but really right. look at certain data, how certain you slept data, something and, the, else and your AI happens. coach is like, eh, like you, maybe you're feeling good, but like you're low on sleep. You're, you know, you didn't eat well there for your blood sugar right. is spiking. You probably need this kind of meditative experience. You should probably do it twice today. Right. <laughs> that, right. That, that, that is going to be so powerful. That's what we envision, but we don't know how that's going to evolve. You know, I, I just yeah. saw someone announce funding on an AI life coach. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Yep. So what do AIs know about living life? <laughs> and I saw another AI relationship coach and I go, what do AIs know about being in a relationship? Do you know? I was married for a long time and, and, you know, it's aggregated data, but what's the data source that they're building learning from, you know, that they're learning from and is obviously that, it's romance novels like if it's, if it, yeah if it's right. gray is like that's their source of uh, relationships <laughs> yeah well it'll be interesting to see how this evolves right and is mm. it additive is it helpful 
how do you drive that connection? We've created some voice avatars for Kokua, and it took us a great deal of effort working with another company to build warmth and empathy in these avatars, in these voice clones. And But we want to see, do they have the same effect as when the humans recorded them? Do you know that people really find a lot of comfort in? We've started to launch that content in our VR app as well, um, doing the authoring text-to-voice meditation authoring. And so far, people, you know, feel the same with it. So that, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot to learn here. And I am also aware that companies, including ours, are going to make mistakes in this. We're not going to get certain things right. So it's really important for our approach. We want to do little tests like launching Koku on mobile and getting people interacting with it and building that recommendation engine tied to your mood and how we detect the mood based on your semantic input, whether it's voice or um, texting in the interface, we're going to learn so much before we start to bring it into VR and other avenues. And then we're also adapting environments now to your actual breath pattern. And we'll look at heart rate. Once we have those mechanisms in place, there's a lot to experiment with, but we have to remember that there are people at the end of it And our whole goal is, you know, stay true to our goal. Will this help you? Will it make you feel better? So in that effort to learn and to try to avoid some mistakes, Mm -hmm. perhaps, Mm -hmm. you guys have a community of partners. Are you working with any labs? Are you giving early access to to, uh, them, uh, the the technology? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there any any examples? Anything that's noteworthy? Well, because Trip is so available on most of the VR consumer devices. We have had wonderful adoption by the research community to analyze our app. And and some of that documentation is public. And we've learned a lot through that research. It's helped inform some of our product evolution, some of our new engagement features that we've launched and will continue to launch are based on like different drop-off points that people experience. And, you know, wellness apps historically have terrible retention over time. Yeah. And VR itself has a novelty factor where you jump in and yeah. you go, oh, wow, this is incredible. But then are you using it still several months later? And so building the infrastructure to reward and motivate people to participate in their own self-care it's kind of like, you know, in January, everybody signs up for the gym and by April, uh, <laughs> you know, in January, February, you can't get a treadmill. You're waiting in line. But by March, April, it's no problem. right? So this idea of making the product a bit more sticky, I'm, I'm curious, and perhaps we can pivot a bit more to the business itself mm-hmm. and the strategy sure. of the company and maybe on the content side of things. Like you guys are probably like part Netflix, uh, part Peloton, part um, waking up. So it's a very unique 
confluence of mm-hmm. things that you're doing. Yeah. How would you describe like the key facets of the business? I imagine content creation is one of them as an example, but content there's creation content. Is the biggest. And then, and then like what other the key like what other key motions in the day to day business exists to make it all go? Well, the biggest shift in general being a startup is to really make sure that we continue to support a culture of innovation. Um, because otherwise, why be at a startup, right? We can just yeah. go work for a bigger company, watch other people innovate, and then do a bigger, better version with a lot of money behind us, right? And so yeah. that culture of innovation actually is a really strong defense mode, too, because you're building IP, you're building value. And personally, it's more fun. It's more fun for the developers. So I look at ideas. I was just in a product meeting right before this call looking at an idea that somebody else has already built the platform. And I'm just kind of like, why do we want to do that? Do you know? And Mm -hmm. that can hurt people's feelings sometimes. But I think as an innovator, you do have to sort of be ruthless what you put your attention on. And so... If it's not cool, it's not innovative, why even bother doing it? It's it's not going to, you're not going to hit a really big home run with something mm-hmm. that's mediocre like everyone else, right? That so so how's that mindset applied to the content creation side of things? So I'm, I'm curious what that process looks well, like. There's so many things so, you could build on the content yeah. side. It's a constant struggle internally. Like, so is the... Well, one, we just have to stay up on the device quality, right? The earlier devices we started working on didn't have the robustness that some of the new ones on the horizon are going to have from a graphics fidelity. So how do we get there and how do we build the technology stack that will allow us to have multiple versions running on multiple devices. And so that is the business of it, because I believe what's hard for us will be harder for others that don't have the technology chops to get there. And if they're only being content focused about it, one size cannot fit all, right? And so if you notice, Trip is on more devices out of any mindfulness VR app out there because we've built that machinery. And that's something I've done throughout my career. And that that cross-platform content distribution is yeah. an opportunity to innovate as well. How do you get scale? For us, scale means that we're helping more people too. So it always goes back to that mission. Mm. And so there are opportunities to innovate there as well. So I'll give you, though, an example of how AI has disrupted or added to some of our content creation. We used to write a lot of our meditations. We worked with multiple writers. We spent a lot of time editing, going back and forth to get it in the trip voice, but also to have variety. And then we would go into the recording studio. I'm the voice for the female and our chief business officer is the male voice and we would record work with the sound engineer they clean up all the mouth noises that you have Mm -hmm. when you do voice work and and then our sound engineers would process them and then our engineering team would get that into the product and to do 10 new meditation sets 
that could take six to eight weeks, that whole process. And we started experimenting with AI authoring, at least on the first iteration. So we stopped working with the pool of writers because we found that it, it actually allowed us to have much more variety and be more rapid. And it reduced a lot of the back and forth. And, and, and we built these voice avatars that were trained on our recorded voices that sound just like us. You cannot tell wow. the difference. And they output clean files. No, no mouth noises, no room tone. It, mm -hmm. The levels are all the same. And so our ability to generate content that took us six to eight weeks can now be done in under an hour with the same scope. And so that was phase one, and it really optimized our funnel so we could launch new meditation audio content very rapidly. And that led us to think about how can we do this where it's even more personalized and at scale and it's happening more in runtime. And so as we built that mood vector database, we started to build the automated meditation creation tied to mood. Like on all of our moods, if you select this, you'll get this recommendation returned to you based on how you are currently feeling or how you want to feel. And so mm -hmm. that's in, in finalization now that we have right now meditation authoring happening, you know, several hundred an hour to, and it, and then it's all being tagged dynamically with AI to our mood vector database. That's incredible. So question, yeah. and I'm trying to understand the delta of the quality and the output here relative to if a human was doing it. So put the speed right. and velocity component aside. Right. Let's say humans 100% of the output you'd expect mm -hmm. doing doing these different things you're doing. Right. What's the difference? Is the AI at 60%, 70 80% of what a human could do? Is it closer to 100? Like, where are we in terms we of don't know parity yet. to a human? So this is what we're going to find out when we launch Kokua, right? So what okay. we do know is having a an AI write version one and a human review that and she's amazing and she also pro uh, product managed the the authoring the creation of the voice avatars and she knows how to manipulate the text for the voice avatar to have a voice output that sounds identical to what we used to record and in many ways it's a higher quality we know mm -hmm. that that at least is an apples to apples outcome, and that's already live in our app. And I will say, you know, look, as a leader, I'm very conscientious, and I'm sure you see this um, at your place of employment. What is the human impact on automation? Mm -hmm. And we have replaced some human contribution to our product. Mm -hmm. But what I have also seen is that AI has opened up more opportunities for other people to innovate and also evolve. So again, like there's a lot we don't know, and I think it requires some thoughtful, mindful leadership to yeah. really look at, you know, how to make these transitions less painful for 
human and also open up more opportunities for them through this transition yeah. as well. It is powerful. However, there's a lot to be concerned about too, right? In this shift. Mm -hmm. And how do we approach that with compassion, support, opportunities? I'm sure this is an opportunity for companies that are bigger, like the one you work for, to really mm -hmm. lean into thinking about the impact on society in mm. ways uh, i watched this transition happen when i first started working in the advertising industry when there are a lot there were a lot of jobs at that time that no longer exist like paste up artists stack camera operators typesetters delivery people media buyers a lot has changed in in that world and i think every technology evolution introduces, um, you know, a lot of chaos. Yeah, chaos. Hopefully it's short-term chaos because, you know, all those people ended up going and working in ad tech and working at, you know, media Not supply side them. platforms. Not no. all of them. I had some friends that couldn't make that transition. Mm. Uh, you know, they just weren't comfortable with the new mediums and and that can be very painful to watch. So yeah, they're, they're yeah. definitely like, we need to pay attention to that because with AI there, it's going to be even bigger, you know, yeah. it, but I would say like <laughs> there, I've seen my whole company open up more creatively because they have tools now that they can visualize their ideas mm. more quickly with some of these new tools that are emerging like Midjourney and Dolly and others totally. and, and coding quality being more supported by some of these co-pilots. And it's very interesting time period to be working in tech. I think it's one of the best times <laughs> to be trying to enter this space and think about, it's a great time to start a new company, I think. I, I believe it. Yeah, there's an abundance of opportunity mm -hmm. all in front of us. The, the challenge right now, though, is <sighs> things are changing so fast. So fast. Right. And it's, and it's you don't really know where value is going to be accruing in the tech stack. And you can go start something in the AI, AI space. Mm -hmm. and the next week, all of a sudden, that same thing got open sourced by Meta and you're out of business. Yeah. And so you have to be really strategic about the timing right now, I think. There's yeah. a lot of dust spinning up and a lot of fervor at a time when... Yeah. You might want the dust to settle a little bit before you pick your lane and know Maybe. that this is an area where you can have some competitive some competitive edge or not have your thing be open source and just become a feature within yeah. some well, kind I of think a lot AI, of things Azure are going platform, to be features. Right? Like the, yeah. these AI agent only companies, every every app will have a, some kind of AI agent that supports you that is on brand for the brand coming in. And so I, you know, it's kind of, I felt that way about Clubhouse. It was more of a feature than a company. Yeah, it was like a Twitter feature. And, we saw yeah, that in hindsight, yeah. So sure, you want to look at that, but if you go back to what is motivating you, if it's just to kind of, you know, ride the wave and seize the moment make some money, and, have a quick make exit, some money yeah. and get in and out, I mean, that's okay. But as an entrepreneur that, it's so hard to start something and bring an idea mm -hmm. forth if you are not passionate about it and mm -hmm. really motivated by the mission how are you going to survive 
those really dark moments where you have a couple months of money in the bank and no way how you're going to get people's paychecks done. And you have to have that passion. And maybe that's the real reason why a lot of startups fail is because people are going into it with an opportunistic mindset, 100%. Not to say that wanting to be successful is a bad thing, but there's also got to be some foundation of motivation that really carries you through those moments where you just go, I can't do this anymore. Like I've given up so much of. Yeah. Those, those, those dark moments are just bound to happen. So you have to go into it knowing it. What you're signing up for. And you have to know that. And one of the things that becomes really isolating as an, a CEO of a startup is always having your game face on and Mm. you, you know, you have to show up for investors that way and you have to show up for your team. You know, it's like if I got on an airplane and the pilot, you know, she's sitting there with her (laughs) head in her hands, freaking out, I'm not going to feel so great about my, there's a 5% chance we don't land this plane. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Arguing with the crew and, you know, all of that. So, but what happens is you have to internalize a lot of what, what is going on. And so I found in this, you know, if any of your audience are entrepreneurs, I found having a peer group of other founders to be really beneficial. And I had the good fortune of being part of this leaders in tech fellowship, they call it lit. And it um, really helped me to have the, you know, these check-ins with a group of other founders because then we could be really open and honest. We People have empathy with what you're going through. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, and the, solutions too. Yeah, 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 because they've, they've seen it before. I will say that this idea of having your game face on, definitely important, but I think also dangerous. Yeah. I've been, at, I've been at startups where yeah. there's been a lack of honesty, a lack of vulnerability. Yeah. And you can just smell bullshit. Yeah. And, and, and leaders can lose credibility that way. And yeah. there is, a, I, I, I think that the modern, the best modern day leaders need to be a bit more vulnerable than they are. Yes. And open up and a little Carol, bit because then your followers see that you're human and they can, they can yeah. empathize like, Oh, wow, he's one of us. She's, true. she's one of us. Yeah. Right? True. And Carol Robbins who runs leaders in tech, she's also a prof- was a professor at Stanford GSB and she did that course, the interpersonal dynamics, what the the students there call touchy-feely. And Mm -hmm. she has something that really helped me because she said, yes, you people need to see your vulnerability when appropriate. And uh, because you also have a responsibility as a leader to provide psychological safety and and make sure that you're being decisive uh, because that's that's your role. And so it's, it is a landscape you have to navigate really well because there are moments where, you know, you just have to land the plane on the Hudson and keep your cool because yeah. there's a lot of souls counting on you to just do that and keep your cool. And then, you know, and they will totally understand after you do that, that you need a really big hug. <laughs> <laughs> group hug session that's this right. town hall 
we're all coming together and we're going to hug each other. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like In it. an appropriate um, way. <laughs> oh, of course. But of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm sensitive of your time today. I, I want to end um, on a couple notes here, like, like a pseudo speed round of sorts, if we okay. can. Um, perhaps like we'll try to go with like a one or two sentence answer here. And if there's more, that's, that's tough for me. <laughs> <laughs> tough for me too, but th that's, that's the fun part of the game. Now it, it, it can be, you know, if you want to riff riff, but okay. So here in closing the first question, or it's kind of a two-parter, mm -hmm. so we're sort of breaking my own rule here, but what's been the biggest surprise for you on this journey to date? And it can be an, an answer to the upside. So one answer to the upside one answer to the downside so like it could be a big challenge or a thing that just has really been you know a, what's a been the biggest you. surprise well from biggest a biggest surprise one on the upside one of the downside yeah yeah the biggest surprise that we saw was well just on a product feature set we wanted the ai to do everything for the person and recommend everything and mm -hmm. Immediately, people said, well, I want to be able to pick a male voice, not a female only. I want options. I want to be able to extend the time of the experience. Even though they always select our defaults, having that sense mm -hmm. of control. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying about playing video games. That was the biggest surprise once we got launched. The other thing was everyone was telling us to focus on enterprise only. Interesting. And that consumer's hard. Excelled the HR department. All of that. And we focused on that initially, but we couldn't get the scale we needed to actually build an audience that could train AI. So I went mm. to my friends at Oculus and said, can, can we get launched on your platform? And they said, well, we don't think gamers will really like mindfulness apps and i went i know i just need like a small percentage of them because <laughs> you have the biggest yeah. audience and we did the same with playstation and we were really surprised on the upside when the pandemic hit that's awesome because we launched oh, december yeah. 2019 Couldn't imagine yeah we started taking off so our audience is 57 percent male and that is a surprise oh, i believe that that's a yeah. surprise to you yeah that is a surprise because oh, yeah. not we. I don't think a lot of wellness apps actually see that percentage, and I, and there was an assumption from all of the venture capital people we spoke to that our target audience was yoga moms and and it's delightful that yeah they were wrong about that. I think the <laughs> hardest surprise that would be delightfully me, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> The hardest surprise for me was, uh, you know, it, it, how hard it is, that loneliness that I talked about, you know, it, I've been COO most of my career, at least the last 10, 15 years, you know, number mm -hmm. two. And as I mentioned, what's my idea I wanted to bring forth. And it was this, I, and I didn't realize how much of a leap it was to actually be a CEO from mm -hmm. COO. And that was surprising to me because I've run mm -hmm. large organizations. I've brought, you know, helped to bring other ideas forth and contributed to them. But 
I didn't realize like how isolating it is. And, Mm. and it is as far as like responsibility, it was significantly greater. Mm. Now Hawaiians have this word kuleana. It means it's like a spiritual obligation or responsibility. And Mm. I really felt my kuleana to this idea, to the team, to my investors in a way that I didn't feel as COO. I mean, I, I always had, you know, and I was an important part of the machine to deliver on all of our obligations, but I didn't realize the sense of responsibility that shifts when you're a CEO. Yeah. I think a common thing I hear from other CEOs is they realize to their dismay that no one else cares as much about their baby as they do. And therefore you're kind of at the top alone in your decision-making and dealing yeah. with some of the problems and you got, you got to figure out how to motivate people to care as much. And sometimes like that's where the success happens is, is when you do find the team around you that does care as much. Well, we're very fortunate key, right? in that trip. Yeah. That we do have yeah. people really care. Cause look, it's so motivating to come into work. Yeah. I mean, and, your mission is just so yeah. such an inspiring one. It's, and we get so much uh, feedback from our users that keep validating a reason to get out of bed every day to be here. I love it. I love it. Okay, last few questions. What do you yeah. think is the number one misconception about the notion of the metaverse? Well, I think personally, I think the concept of digital twin is off. It's off mm. target. I think you can use digital twins for a lot of useful applications. If it's a city to run scenarios and do planning, forecasting, you know, simulations of outcomes. And for a human, it could be useful to send my digital twin shopping kind of thing. But mm-hmm. for the same reason, when I played video games, I did not want to be myself in that moment. I wanted mm. to be a hero. I wanted to, and I had multiple personas for each game that I would emerge myself into and uh, immerse myself into. And so, um, and different attributes of myself would emerge from those personas, mm. right? You know, I, and so I think if people really understood the psychology that sometimes you just want to show up as a stick of butter and explore <laughs> stick, that. Stick of butter. Yeah. Perfect. And, Full uh, circle. Or oh, there are opportunities to look at new ways to express myself and also how do groups come together as an mm-hmm. identity? Mm-hmm. And are there new concepts of self that can emerge in the metaverse. So it's too fixed to think of ourselves as digital twins. It goes back to that simulation versus stimulation. Stimulation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are the new experiences? Yeah. It makes me think of something I heard about. I forgot there's a term for this. It has to do with like putting on your hero caper. Like what is the hero version of yourself? And it comes from, 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 from Beyonce. Yeah. Beyonce. Everyone thinks that Beyonce is this badass super fierce sure woman yeah and off the stage she's actually a sweetheart and she struggles with being mm-hmm. an authority if you will so what so what does she do mm-hmm. she created a alternate persona right called Sasha fierce right 
And this is a real, per she, she tells herself that she becomes Sasha, she, she looks in the mirror and she becomes Sasha Fierce. And that's, that's the Beyonce right. we see on stage. Yeah. And so like, what, it, what is ours? What is your Sasha Fierce? What is my Sasha? Like, for, and then yeah. if you can give everyone that ability to then go embody that in the metaverse, that's a pretty powerful idea. I, I love yeah, that. Yeah. And I think that there are collective versions of that, that we haven't even explored. Like what is digital coherence? What are hive minds? If you look at like how the human genome online that collective scientific community coming together you look at open source these are sort of indicators of a bigger opportunity to solve some real problems collectively i want to look at how we do that around wellness but think about That's it super cool, uh, yeah you think about it in the sense that when mobile first came out everybody on a new platform everybody does sort of the playbook Let's get some games on there. Let's get entertainment. Let's get productivity apps. Now let's get some wellness and fitness apps, right? This is happening with spatial. When computing moved from the desktop to the hand, we did all that. I was involved with like some of the first mobile games on phones. No one saw a future where there was an influencer economy that would emerge on that, the gig economy that would work, mm. how it would facilitate the... Um, communication feeds that we all are, you know, being manipulated by, but also engaging yeah. with. But think about like in its best form, those feeds have also allowed us to highlight injustice and social conditions that have been existing for mm -hmm. our entire history as a species, but we weren't able to really highlight it. Couldn't you know? amplify it, yeah. Yeah, we can it. amplify yeah. it, and then policy can change around that. It's an incredibly powerful toolkit. So what does spatial enable that we don't know mm. yet, you know? And yeah, we're doing this all through a little rectangle in our pockets, and look at the incredible yeah. influence it's had. Yeah. What happens when we're inside that rectangle? <laughs> like or, that's, that's, or transforming man. the way we're seeing the world around us with information overlays data yep. ways to interact with the physical environment in in entirely new ways i've seen some really cool things around like what meta showed at meta connect just this mm -hmm. week with even watching tv a different way with augmented displays and social viewing where you're all you know experiencing a sports you're all game course together. side and be, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and and the vantage points and all of that has often been fed to us passively. So I think there's going to be really interesting forms of spectator mode and spectator mm -hmm. engagement. Like what if I could send a loot crate down to, you know, LeBron James or something to help him. <laughs> During <laughs> the, the game and he's in pulling the powder out and yeah. who knows if it's powder or not. Exactly. That, that that's awesome. It gets me all fired up to think about. So yeah. that's a great way to parlay to our final question, which is really all about accruing questions. So I've been playing with how do I want to end this podcast? And a lot of people have like, they ask questions, they seek answers in various ways. Mm -hmm. But the theme of this podcast is all about how do we deal with this inflection point that humanity is facing? Yeah. And I think before we can get to the right answers to that, I think we need to make sure we're all asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm doing is I'm asking all my guests to give me one question, to leave me, to leave my audience with one question 
that you, that you find yourself asking yourself the most, Yeah. right? The one question that's keeping you up at night the most it could be good or bad. What is that one question for you right now when it comes to, you know, looking at this looming change coming at us and what we need to be thinking about and considering? Well, I personally am always asking myself, what's my contribution here? Mm -hmm. Not from a legacy standpoint, but just so that mm -hmm. when I do leave here, I feel really good about the time well spent. And I feel like I've finally entered a space in my life where I feel like I'm on that path. And, mm. and if reality, if, if our, if this is really a sim, as some people <laughs> seem to think there's a lot of evidence about, what is the game being played? And if mm. I look historically at, you know, why we exist, and you look at humanity and even other species, it seems that the the win state is an ev more evolved, compassionate humanity. Because mm -hmm. throughout history, like, have you watched this show on Netflix, Chimp Empire? No. I highly recommend it. And you can see like these primates. Chimp Empire. Okay, they are, these primates are, you know, they have an alpha one and he's always trying to hold his position and it is always a male. And the younger mm. males are trying to figure out how do they get them in a weak state and take over. And they have a hundred percent like female abuse. Right. And, oh, and, but we transitioned yeah. from that right like and we were like that it explains for, a lot right we yeah. were like that for thousands of years as humans we behave like that and mm -hmm. and we have whether we want to admit it or not we have evolved into a more compassionate society we are also seeing we still have a lot of work to do mm. and and we're having these conversations now, finally, around bullying. Like, think about it. That Our whole social construct, historically, has mostly been on bullying and violence. Yeah. And we're all finally talking about this, right? Exerting and, physical authority and power was like the key right. to survival. Yeah, yeah. And, and hierarchies in a way that are really toxic and unhealthy. And we're we're shining a light on this and i wonder mm. if the simulation game like if it were <laughs> a game and you know maybe people who look like the dalai lama and other you know jesus and other entities that have come supposedly to help us evolve is there this compassionate outcome mm. and so I want to look at how do we use, not from a religious standpoint or even a philosophical standpoint, but how do we use technology to um, facilitate some of that evolution? Because if we are all more passionate uh, about our lives and compassionate towards ourselves and thoughtful of our interactions with others, we can come together with empathy and understanding and solve some real problems. But it does, uh, and we're going to hit this huge divisive environment in the next mm. couple of years, and it's going to be yeah. even more important that we yeah, get on that. Yeah, such a good point. But it's almost like the game designers go, 
All right, let me just throw this into the system and see, see if they can figure out. Here's the tools. Uh... They have the tools and the data and the research to be compassionate. And here's yeah. this looming wave of change that's going to challenge them and create a lot, a lot of lack of compassion. And see if they figure it out. <laughs> see that's right. These these NPCs that are maybe we're not. Maybe we are NPCs. Who knows? Let's who see knows? If, let's see if, yeah. if, if our AI can. <laughs> so that, pieces that, together. Wow, that that, that's concept. that's a really amazing series of questions. <laughs> I, I I wrote a bunch down. I'm I'm gonna try yeah. to compile those into one all up question. I can, I can <laughs> well, share it with you later. Why, but why are we stuff. here, right? And what is what, what the games game are we playing? Played? What is the game being played here? Like, what is the win state for all of us and yeah. collectively? And I personally believe the answer is to evolve more compassionately. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's an awesome way to end this. That's a hell of a hell of a final statement and question to be asking. So for people that want to follow you, Nenea, follow Trip, how can they do so? Trip.com and it's Trip with two P's, T-R-I-P-P. -P. We just thought it looked cooler with two P's. I and agree. I love that. Actually, the name comes from when you... Every time I saw someone take off one of those early VR headsets that I had access to, they would go, mm -hmm. wow, that was a trip. <laughs> and <laughs> Perfect. It works, so in, it works it in so many from. ways. And then I'm at Nanea on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Naninja on Instagram. Naninja. Oh, man, yes, that was a nickname to given to me. Early on, and no, it became my ninja. gamer tag. And <laughs> <laughs> that's so I good. I wish I had more time to play games. Oh, I, you and me both. Well, Nanea, thank you for being so gracious with your time. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you, Evan. You're really good at this. I'm excited about your journey <laughs> doing this. It's great. I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. it. Right, thank I'm you. Stop that. Cool. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you enjoyed, please do subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. We have a lot more to come. If you're willing to spare 15 seconds, we would beyond appreciate a quick rating on this podcast. It goes a very long way towards helping this thing grow. Thanks again, and until next time.